Hello and welcome to the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're a podcast returner, thank you so much for joining us again. I'm Melanie Rushing and I'll be joined shortly by my business partner, Alicia Smith, for the fifth installment of our series discussing the best traits of teams and players, the seven C's. Today we talk about being in control. Control is about focusing on the things that matter and letting the rest go. It's not about staying 100% zoned in the entire game. That's impossible. It's about focusing in and out when you need to so you're ready when the ball comes. Today we discuss what it looks like when players and teams are in control and when they're not. Because we as coaches could hurt their control or improve it. And what worked best with Alicia's team this season. This episode is brought to you by our free workbook, The Softball Coach's Guide to Crafting Your Dream Season. We say that softball is 90% mental, but it's not that easy to implement the mental game 90% of the time. Or can it be? Let us guide you through crafting your dream season by showing you how to implement the mental game every day without it feeling like one more thing you have to do. To get your copy of the workbook, simply head to mentalsweetspot.com and click Yes, I Am. Now let's get to the show. Today, we are talking about how to be in control, specifically of your focus. So there are a lot of things vying for our attention, and it is hard to maintain, especially throughout even an hour and a half game at the youth levels where it goes quicker, but then you get up to college and it's two, two and a half hours, and that's just one of the games. You have a double header, you get into playoffs, and you've got three games across the whole day of eight hours. So maintaining focus and not getting distracted by the million things that are going on is not very easy. So Alicia, let's start with what it looks like when your players are completely locked in, you know they're focused, and they're not even distracted by all the outside noise. For me, I think for my team is definitely when, you know, they're in maybe a different different. Uh, field or it's a big game. Um, the ones I can think of specifically are when, you know, we're in quarterfinals and we're playing at U of M stadium and that can be incredibly distracting and, and focus breakers, so to speak. So mm-hmm. um, because you're obviously, you know, where you are, you know, the dugouts are bigger, there's bathrooms in the dugout, there's, you know, all the other distractions, <laughs> the team, the fans are very loud. Um, and the way Michigan stadium is set up, there's, you know, it's, it's kind of like there's a scoreboard and there's stands and there's brick buildings and all of the sound goes right down to the field. I've been uh, playing in a game there or coaching in a game there before standing on the stairs of the third base um, dugout and the coach for the other team is on offense sitting in third base coaches box and she's yelling at her players and I can't hear her. So that's, that's just one of those things where high school kids aren't used to that. Right. In fact, a lot of kids aren't used to that type of environment. So when they're really focused and they're locked in, they don't hear that. Right. They don't hear that. They don't let it bother them. They don't let it affect them because they just have learned in those situations to be able to focus through anything. And if you can focus through something like that an environment like that and still perform, I mean, that's a coach's dream right there. Yeah. I feel like I'd be on the field like, wow, I'm so proud because I'm so distracted. (laughs) Exactly. And that is distract. I mean, all of those things, it may seem little, but I'll never forget the very first time we ever walked on that field and the kids were so excited because there's a bathroom in the dugout. Like that's just so cool to them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I took my team probably two and a half, three hours before game time early to get on the field and walk it and get over the, you know, oh, it's Michigan kind of factor or feel. 
Um, they were allowed to take pictures, you know, they were walking around taking and snapping pictures all over the place in front of the big M and just walking around and being in that environment for a little bit, kind of, kind of settled them down a little bit. And, you know, but when that moment comes, boy, they were ready. And that's so cool to watch. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, how about a time where it didn't work, where you could just tell a million things were on their mind and they weren't present. Um, you couldn't drag them back to the present. <laughs> what did that look like? Um, unfortunately, uh, the very next game <laughs> um, no. at, Mich at Michigan State's field, um, because the semifinals are held at Michigan State. So the very next game, I had a pretty young team. So to watch them get in that focus mode at U of M and be able to perform and do really well. And then we went to Michigan state and it was a it was just a comedy of errors, a comedy of things that just, it happened. And you, you know, we were late. Uh, I didn't know where to drop the kids off because in the previous years with my experience at Michigan state for quarterfinals was very different. So meaning I didn't, where we parked was somewhere different where mm -hmm. I had to drop off the kids instead of parking where I was used to. Um, I actually got separated from my team because I had to drop off the kids very close to the field and then go park probably a half a half a mile away. Um, I, I wasn't aware that the kids needed tennis shoes for the indoor cages. All of these experiences were just totally new. Mm -hmm. And I took full responsibility for not knowing and not being prepared. And um, the kids couldn't warm up near the field. They had to they had to run a quarter of a mile, I think, around to go find somewhere to throw. We were on a very tight schedule um, down to the minute where we had to be dragged from one side to the field to the next. And then we had to stop our routine and take pictures. And that threw everybody off, including myself. So, you know, being fortunate enough to to coach in a semifinal before, it was just they had moved the location from the from the place where it had been for years to Michigan State that year. We were the first ones that year to go. And mm. it was just such a different experience. And and it was just one thing after the other. Mm -hmm. And I felt so bad for those kids because I wasn't prepared enough. And definitely lessons learned for me as well. But we just never could get to that focus because of mm -hmm. all those distractions. Oh, I feel you. Like I can even like imagine myself like saying control the controllables mel control the controllables exactly. and it not mattering because it didn't <laughs> there's just too much going on right and you know you take a you take a young team who's never been there before not one of those players had ever been in that that experience had ever had that experience or you know played uh at michigan state like that before it's all new to everyone um and they just they got the deer in the headlight looks and and that's, you know, that's on me because we weren't, we weren't there early enough. We weren't, I, I apparently just didn't know some of these things or didn't pay close enough attention to the information or something. And just not knowing that we couldn't warm up near the field was something that was just, like I said, probably, it was probably in the information. I just missed it. And that was mm. frustrating to me because I kept saying to myself, why well, didn't, I'm, I'm so prepared for all this stuff. That is not me to not know what's going on or to be on time. And everything was just thrown off that day from the time we left and um, a lessons learned for me, but definitely a big regret, I think as a coach to just not fully be prepared, even though I thought mm -hmm. I was. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So many times where it's not intentional. You did some, a lot of preparing, you just mm -hmm. missed one detail, which snowballed into a bunch of things. So I think Absolutely. we definitely <laughs> feel for coaches who've been there before, but Hey, it happened and 
we have to learn our lesson and fix it for next time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you know, the next year, fortunately for us, we were um, back in the same position, but I was there at least an hour and a half before we were supposed to be. <laughs> yes. And that is how you take control back. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that is definitely one of the like bigger bad examples of when it just crumbles. How about the the little sneaky things where you lose focus for an inning, but that ends up costing, quote unquote, the game? Oh, that happens a lot. Um, it's usually where sometimes another example. Okay, I can think of a great example. Uh, 2011, we were playing in a tournament as a championship game. And I'm very big on communication because that's how you help focus on the situation, right? So the situation was two outs, runner on third base, two strikes on the batter. And we did not communicate in the infield to each other. Two outs, go to one. You know, that's a, that's a common thing that you would, I would always have my kids say, because it's just that it's that 10 second reminder of what you need to do, what the situation is. So when you get in your ready position, you know what to do. Mm -hmm. You would never expect it, but the coach did a suicide squeeze. I mean, first of all, that's a really gutsy call with two mm -hmm. outs, with two strikes, but he did this, he, he called the suicide squeeze and it was bunted in my third baseman and she tried to throw home. So, and that was the game winning run. Mm -hmm. So thankfully it was just a regular tournament in, during the season, but that lesson that we learned that day translated into this unbelievable run where we won like 40 games in a row, like <laughs> that went from the rest of that season to the following season, because I told them in that moment, your focus slipped for just a second, just enough for you not to be prepared for the situation. Because mm -hmm. we didn't talk to each other and we didn't communicate to each other and we didn't remind everyone that there's two outs that the plays at one. So that was, it was just that one moment, right? Where granted that particular play, I believe games are never won and lost on the last play of the game. However, that's, that hurts the, you know, the kids are upset. They know it. And when you can try to extract that lessons learned of when focus slips just for a second, that's what happens. And that's controllable in my opinion. And that's what mm -hmm. we always talk about at practice. If we had communicated right before the play, we would have been fine. Yep. Yeah. I do believe that one whole game is not determined by one play, no. but the feeling of it is. <laughs> and when it is the last play like that, uh -huh. it is magnified by a hundred. And we all understand that. Everyone mm -hmm. understands that. And kids aren't going to, um, make that differentiation because nope. all they say is I lost the game. Mm -hmm. And of course that's not true um, because there are 21 outs in a game, 21 opportunities to get it right. And that first play or that first out might be the, you know, the very first inning that might happen. Mm -hmm. And if, if it's not the end of the game and it's in the beginning of the game, we've got to really work hard as coaches and players with the right tools to not let that affect you the rest of the, of the game. Mm -hmm. Much easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. But at least if you start working on it, you can build up to that. Absolutely. I love that. So what are some ways that <laughs> other than not being prepared uh, that you feel like you could have done a better job making sure that they were communicating or they were focused? 
Or maybe think, you distracted them. I've done that before. Yeah, I probably have distracted them too from maybe just being really frustrated or something like that. But it all starts in practice, right? So I think in the in those game moments, it's it's just as much my responsibility to make sure they're communicating mm. as it is the player's responsibility to make sure they're communicating. So um, I very easily could have just done, you know, just taken a timeout or even yelled it from the bench. Hey, two outs, remember, go to one. Mm -hmm. And I think we all have those moments in your coaching career where um, you think the kids understand the situation fully, mm -hmm. but they don't. So from that moment on, I've learned in a really important situation like that, there's nothing wrong with calling timeout, of course, as long as you have them. Mm -hmm. And walking out into the mound and pulling everyone in so they fully understand the situation. Mm -hmm. So from that moment on, I've done that where if the if the winning run is on third base, they I I will call timeout and I will pull them in to remind them of that because mm -hmm. they just may not be fully aware of the big picture situation, mm -hmm. you know, because you get caught up in the moment or something like that. So it's just a reminder, hey guys, that runner cannot score. Yeah, you have to do absolutely. So, so for example, we're going to pull our outfield in. This is the reason why we're going to do that and making sure that she doesn't score. What I found was interesting with the way you said that was a lot of coaches, myself included, stop at the, you can't let her score. Mm -hmm. and I think that's another way we distract them mm -hmm. because absolutely. then you're not, you're not giving them the action. You're just giving them the consequence and that's what they're focusing on. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you allow them to focus on the reasons why, Right. Mm -hmm. You're moving the defense, for example, or, hey, I need to pull in my middle infield. I need to pull in my outfield to make sure that, you know, or for whatever reason, whatever the, the action is, they understand. I need to pull mm -hmm. in my outfield because anything really deep, you know, she's going to score. So make sure that we're pulled in and we understand that anything short, you need to come home, mm -hmm. you know, or something like that, which, which is exactly what happened in the game that ended our season, right? Where we're in that mm -hmm. situation and we called timeout and I pulled the entire infield and outfield onto the hole, onto the mound to make sure they fully understood the situation and executed because they knew what to do. Mm -hmm. And they did. And they Good did. job, girls. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the biggest things you just said was that it starts in practice. So what are some things that you do in practice to make sure they're focused on the right things at the right time? Well, I've definitely done a lot of different, tried a lot of different things, but I think if you can put them in situations during practice where they don't know, um, it's not a simple routine, you know, mm. exercise, of course, we always do our fundamentals and, you know, throw to one, throw to two, et cetera. But when you can throw these unexpected uh, situations to them in practice. So one of my favorite drills I learned at a clinic is called the go drill. So I have all of my team turn around and face the fence. Uh, the catcher would turn around and face the opposite way. And I have runners that are kind of strategically located either between first, second, and third with helmets on. And you just point at a runner. So you say there's a runner on two. So you point at the runner to go on to two. And she kind of walks casually over to two. And then you say go. And the whole team turns around. And they have about three seconds to analyze the situation. And then I hit the ball. So they, as soon as they turn around, they say, runner on two, check two, go one. I hit the ball. So they are, they are just constantly reacting to the situation without knowing it ahead of time. So that puts them in that mind frame where they have to focus on that one task, you know, or that one play right, right away. They have to analyze the situation very quickly. They have to feel, understand what they need to do and then field the ball and do, 
you know, check to go one or catch the ball or whatever it may be. Um, that's one example of a drill that, that I've learned and I love, but you're constantly just keeping them on their toes and focused. I've also downloaded something on my phone. It's called crowd noise for lack of better word, um, right from iTunes. And I'll play it over the loudspeaker very loudly. Um, so they have to try to communicate through a lot of external noise. So we do that a lot leading up to postseason. obviously from the experience I just shared with the, on the, at Michigan, trying to focus through and communicate through a lot of, a lot of external noise is part of it too. Right. So even if it's just, um, a, a regular game and there's a lot of crowd there that are yelling and screaming, that can be very distracting. Um, so that helps them try to communicate through all of the noise. So they have to repeat it. They have to be louder. They have to turn around and physically make sure the person behind them. So your middle infielder actually hears your outfielder and they point to each other. They talk louder. They take time to make sure everybody knows what they're doing before the ball is hit. And I allow that because that's game like. So trying to simulate, you know, we always hear that we try to, you practice like you play and simulate games in practice. Well, how often do we really do that as coaches? Right. Um, mm -hmm. and the other thing is the, finally, another drill that I can think of is, um, I will tell my base runners to do things out of the ordinary. So if there's a ball hit to, if there's a runner on two and the ball hit to shortstop, it's a grounder and they throw to one 99 times out of a hundred, the runner's simply either going to go back to two or, you know, uh, try to get to three. But I'll tell them, try to stretch it to four, like try to do something totally out of the ordinary that doesn't even make sense. So the kids are reacting to the situation as opposed to just going through the motions. Absolutely. I love all those examples. Another one with um, defense and the base runners is the base runners have to take two bases each time. Mm, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. At first, they're super resistant. Right. <laughs> like, what? No, the ball's right there. Like, yeah, go for it. It helps yeah. your runners and your defense really make sure that they're on point and pushing the envelope. Right. And I think obviously I just met, we just mentioned all like defensive type drills, um, but you could flip it into offense, you know, and do something similar for, for all of those um, situations that, you know, are going to be um, where they have to, they have to communicate to the coach, obviously with signs um, and then understand what they need to do. Uh, mm -hmm. put them in those pressures where, Hey, the, the winning run is on too right now. And we'll get, everyone's like trying to yell and scream and the crowd noise. And that's the winning, you know, running run on two, you got to hit it, you know, to the right side and get her in, you know? So that type of thing where you just, you put them in those situations as best you can. Absolutely. And it doesn't have to be only on full field scrimmage day. It can also be with every drill you do instead of working on 10 outside pitches off the tee in a row, do inside, outside, inside, outside, any little bit you can vary. It will help you adjust in the game, uh, throwing front toss instead of just hitting and taking swings, put them in a situation. I like to say that we need to practice game mode. Game mm -hmm. mode is variable. Game mode has consequences. So my favorite, um, offensive drill if you have just one uh, batter or you have even up to like a group of five, they pretend like they're every batter in the lineup and they go through the situations. So that way they're learning to adjust, learning to focus in, focus out. And that way they have some ammo going into game day. Like, okay, I've practiced something similar to this as opposed to, okay, well, I just crushed front toss because all right. the pitches were flat and in the zone. Absolutely. <laughs> 
And that's, that's, that's controllable as a coach, right? And that takes a little bit of forethought and planning. Um, but I can tell you that once I started really learning how to do um, or how to plan these these practices this way and be really productive with them, um, the kids are just so much more ready for for the games because they're used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, my practices are, are exactly two and a half hours and we get a lot done. It's, it's very planned out. It's very fast paced. Um, there are times when we do slow down and work on fundamentals, of course, but for the most part, it's these quick moving drills and we don't spend a lot of time on them, but mm-hmm. they're quick, they're intense, and they're always talking. And as long as that is a constant part of your practice, then that's not, it's not a big deal during a game to be to quick and fast paced and talk during the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If practices are super slow and laid back, of course, they're going to lose focus more easily on game day. Or even the opposite sometimes, if they're always stressed and tense during practice because, I don't know, they don't know how to handle the quote-unquote pressures they're putting on themselves, they're not even going to know where to start on game day. Right, right. So we definitely have those things built in where we have breaks built in. We have fundamental things uh, in the middle of some of the drills where they can just focus on their glove work, their footwork, and things like that. Um, They're short bursts of those. And then they can get into those just kind of like a game, right? You have the, you have the inning in between innings and you have that downtime a little bit. So you try to simulate that as best you can in practice with this purposeful practice. Absolutely. And I think who said it, I I want to say it was Patrick Murphy who said it, um, where you can't perfectly replicate that feeling. Oh, no, it's Mike Andrea. You can't replicate that feeling and the emotion of big games and big moments, right. but you can give them the tools to be prepared to deal with it in the moment. Absolutely. And I think if you can talk them through that every single day. So, for example, during my high school season, we play doubleheaders, you know, every single game. And then when you get to districts and regionals, that's what they are. They're doubleheaders just a different opponent. Mm -hmm. So you can, you constantly talk about the preparation for the district and regional doubleheader by working through all of these things during a doubleheader during the season. How do you get through the break? What do you, how do you get yourself mentally ready for the second game? How do you make sure your emotional energy can be sustained for two straight, for two straight games? How do you make sure your focus is where it needs to be? And make them understand or help them understand that you don't need this super high level of focus for four straight hours. Mm -hmm. You have the downtime in between innings, in between at-bats, in between pitches. So how do you manage that? How do you work through that every single day? Ah, yes. That was huge for me was realizing like, oh, I can space out for a second and it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Love that. Um, Okay, so going into... Our courses specifically and the things that we implemented from this program, what new things did you start to implement once you went through uh, the focus and in control course? So by focusing on the controllables, um, the things you can control, and we talk about this all the time, right? You can focus on or you can control your attitude, your what you choose to focus on and what you choose to think. Um, you can focus on, you know, being a good teammate. You can focus on your level of energy. That's controllable. The things that you can control, right, are the umpires, the parents, the other team, the things that you hear in the crowd. All of those things are what we call focus wasters, right? So you can't control them. So why? So we we try not to focus on them, right? 
So mm-hmm. the umpires is usually one of the biggest things I can see in the past with um, players where, especially pitching and catching, right, where the calls, they're not getting the calls behind the plate that they think they should have. Mm-hmm. So they start focusing more on what the umpire is calling or not calling and letting that emotion and, and get out of control and their thoughts get out of control and their focus getting out of control. Mm-hmm. So that's when you have to really work through um, trying to get them to focus on the things they can control, which is their attitude and their mental approach to the next pitch. So if they can step right back up and not worry about or focus on the umpire, but focus on you know, whatever they need to do to get ready for that pitch and throw that, mm-hmm. that rice ball, the next pitch, that's where you want them to get to. And that takes a lot of time, a lot of patience, a lot of coaching. And sometimes it takes kids three or four years to get to that point, right? Mm-hmm. With maturity and experience, but with that long, you know, patience with these kids and understanding of it and in talking to them about it when it happens, even if you have to call time out, because sometimes you mm-hmm. see a maybe for example, which is the easiest example to choose, starting to get more frustrated and, and leave their, their, their shoulders start to slump and they start to get frustrated on the mound. Call that time out and go remind them. You're not talking about mechanics. You're not talking about the umpire. You're talking about that mental focus that they need to have. So they're not f- wasting it on something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think another one that uh, your girls really like ran with this year, which was super cute, uh, was focusing in and out, narrow and broad funnel. focus. Yes, yeah, they did. <laughs> that was so funny. We did talk about that. So we talked about the focus funnel. We talked about the narrow focus and the broad focus. So we relate it to an actual funnel, which looks similar to a field, right? Your broad focus is that time in between the pitch. Right. So if we're on defense, for example, and it's that communication to the whole team of where the next play is, how many outs there are. And then that narrow focus is that moment where you have to, you know, you have to execute the pitch and then execute the the play if the ball's put in play. So you're right. Like last year, they were just, oh, that's my broad focus coach, like kind of joking around with it. But in a way that that's they're getting it right. Mm-hmm. So if you can have that particular communication with your kids and then relate it right to practice where you tell them what it's, what you're doing, you tell them why it's important. And you have this narrow focus, broad focus approach and you talk about it during the drills. Mm -hmm. Then they start to, even if they're joking around with you, they're getting it. But um, that narrow focus, broad focus, focus funnel is what we do during the entire game. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And it's, and you allow them to have that moment where they can kind of take a step back and not be so narrowed in on every little thing. But there's mm-hmm. a time when they need to be. Yeah. That was a fun one. That was really helpful for me as a player too, knowing like, okay, I got I stuck. I was too broad, mm-hmm. <laughs> looking at too many things. So I get to zoom it, focus on the pitch coming in, that kind of thing. So I think from, you know, that example of broad focus, narrow focus, you have this, these three words, right? You see it, trust it, do it. So in this broad focus, you can kind of see, you see the field, you see the play, you call it out. There's two outs, you know, runner on one, two outs, plays that one. You're seeing it. Then you begin to start to trust that when the ball comes to you, you're going to actually be able to field it because you've done it a hundred times and you're confident. And then when it comes to you, you do it. Mm-hmm. And voila, the focus funnel. The focus funnel. <laughs> Sounds so easy, I know, but it's just it's just the language and the understanding um, 
from the coach's standpoint down to the kid's standpoint of what it means. And to, at the end of the day, it's very quick, right? It's a very quick transition, but it's if you practice it that way, then the kids really start to get it. Mm-hmm. So you've given a lot of tips already. <laughs> is there anything else that you think coaches could take away from this episode and implement right away to help improve the focus even just a little bit on game day? I think if you, if you talk about the focus funnel, um, but you start with a one drill in practice, like if you just start with one drill in practice, understanding the focus funnel, um, and that could just simply be a team defense with um, runners running from home to first, um, varying the different speeds of the runner, right? And then mm-hmm. just hitting the ground ball, right? So have them walk through in between each time the coach hits a ground ball, have them walk through the focus funnel mm-hmm. and say, okay, here's, and talk through the, don't expect them to completely just get it right away. Talk to them about it first talk to the team as they're, when they're out on the field about this is your broad focus right now. How many, how many outs, where are the runners? What are you going to do when you get the ground ball? And then have the pitcher, you know, talk through when the pitcher starts to get in their windup is when you start to bring in your focus to a narrow focus and then hit the ball. Then after the ball's hit, then we talk about it, right. Mm-hmm. Until it becomes second nature for them. Yeah. No, I like that. I think that goes back again to that, like very, what's coming at them, the variable practice. Mm-hmm. But if you can start with something pretty, pretty basic and simple till they can get that, then that's when you continually ramp it up and make it more difficult and continually have that same language about the focus funnel. Mm-hmm. I think the most impactful part of this whole program is how intertwined the C's are. Um, what do you think being in control can help as far as the other C's? I think for sure the previous podcast we just talked about, you know, composed, I think those two really go hand in hand. I agree. They all go, they all are interconnected, but these two, if you can have this emotional control, that really helps your focus, right? You can, mm-hmm. and then your focus can really help your emotional control. So I think that the two really go hand in hand. And I know that's why we put them back to back because you can definitely take a lot from one and, and implement it with the other. But if you can really truly focus in, in that focus funnel to that narrow focus that you need to be, you are composed and in the right energy level mm-hmm. and vice versa. I think we talked about previously how you can get outside of your, your sweet spot, so to speak, for your energy. Mm-hmm. And that also affects your control, both mm-hmm. positively and negatively, and then vice versa. Yeah. And then it also ties into next week's, with, which is courageous and kind of facing your fears again the emotional piece comes in it distracts you so if you can control both of those things those the fear of failure fear of success sometimes fear of disappointing people all those things kind of dull and can seem a little less intense absolutely and at the beginning we talked about confidence and how your thoughts and the positive thoughts help you know control all of this as well so they're all intertwined And I think each piece on its own is a building block onto the next one. Mm -hmm. And that is a wrap for this week. Be sure to grab your freebie on the focus funnel. This infographic will teach you the three steps for going through the funnel before every pitch so that you're ready when the time comes. To get that, head to mentalsweetspot.com forward slash episode 27. 
Thank you so much for spending your precious time with us. We hope you're enjoying the show. If so, we'd truly appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes or on our site at mentalsweetspot.com forward slash reviews. Join us again next week for another episode, this time on how to be courageous and play fearlessly. See you soon.